Hey guys, it is my absolute pleasure to be bringing today's devotional to you on 2 Peter 2. Uh, this is such a wonderful text. There's so much to talk about. I'm going to try to keep it as brief as possible. Uh, so I've come up with three points of what this passage is and what this passage isn't. All right, so if we read through 2 Peter 2, what we can clearly see is it is a warning for us as Christians against false teachers uh, and or false prophets. Okay. That is, that is clearly there. We know that it is addressed to us as Christians because of how Peter starts a letter in chapter 1 where he basically addresses us and he says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. That's us. All right. So it is a warning. It is also a description of who these false prophets and teachers are. And what they do you know the bible tells us that we will know them by their fruits and it goes on to list a couple of fruits there uh, it mentions greed it mentions uh, despising authority it mentions arrogance and lust it mentions having eyes of adultery um, and it mentions that these false prophets will promise you freedom but they themselves are enslaved now that sounds so much like what's going on in the world today all right but there are only three things main things that points that I'd like to make about how it describes these false teachers. The main one is, is it says that they deny the master, meaning Jesus. These false teachers have actually denied Jesus and what Jesus has done. They've denied the gospel of Christ. They have forsaken the right way. Now you guys know that when the church was born in the early days, it was actually known as the way. Um, and it says that these teachers have forsaken the way. And it says, it goes on to say that they have gone the way of Balaam. All right, now, so in order to understand that, and I think this is really key as well in determining um, what these false teachers are teaching, what they're all about, is understanding who Balaam was. And the Bible says that Balaam uh, loved the wages of wickedness. So to try and give you that story really quickly, um, the story of Balaam is when the king Balak calls the prophet Balaam and asks him to come and curse Israel because he's afraid that they're taking over the area, that they're growing too big, and they're going to come and steal his kingdom from him. So he recruits Balaam, who doesn't want to go initially, but eventually, in promises of riches and more money than he could ever dream of, he comes with, or goes to the king to try and curse Israel. All right, so he tries once, he tries twice, and both times, as he seeks the Lord's um, counsel on this through the, through the sacrifice and the offerings, it is made very clear that he cannot curse Israel because Israel is blessed. Okay, King Balak won't have it and he takes him up a third time and says try from this vantage point maybe your God will allow you to curse them now. Okay, and the Bible says that uh, Balaam goes up and they do all the offerings and all of that but instead of seeking the Lord's counsel and guidance this time around, it says that he turns his face and he looks towards the desert or the wilderness because he actually wanted to do what King Balak wanted him to do for the wages of wickedness. He wanted to be able to curse Israel so that he could get these wages. But obviously God does not allow him to because what God has blessed, no one can curse. And, uh, and so this is the one other thing that th these false teachers would do. They would come against us and tell us, that in fact we are cursed rather than we are blessed going against the promises of God going against the promises of the Bible and they would rather try and tell you that in actual fact because you're not perfect because you don't live a perfect life because you may be fall short here or there as the Bible says we do 
that you are in fact cursed and not blessed. That is what these false prophets would teach you or tell you. All right, so what this text is not, three points, three points. It is not a rebuke against backslidden Christians, okay? Some people would read the text at the end there where it talks about um, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. And I've heard it taught before, said before, that this is a scripture about backsliding Christians who have known the Lord and they've backslidden and now it's like, it's, you know, they've lost their salvation. And it's not that. That is not at all what it is. This is talking about prophets. This is talking about people who, like Balaam, knew the way, knew Jesus, knew the truth, but instead rejected it. Okay, it's not that they were Christians and then they backslid. They rejected the good news and the gospel and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has brought us. All right. So it is not a rebuke against backslidden Christians. In fact, the whole tone of this letter is one of grace. Um, you know, if we if we look at the very beginning of the letter, the introduction is grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's the start of the letter. Peter ends the letter with, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? He's got this letter that he writes to all these Christians in the Asia area. And he starts it and he finishes it off and wraps it all up in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is not a letter of rebuke. It is also not a warning of punishment for Christians who slip up, who fall short. Okay. When uh, when you read through that punishment, the, I mean, like, Peter is ticked off. He, he is not happy with these false teachers that have wormed their way into, into these believers. And he really goes to town on saying just how they are going to see their day of punishment. Okay, um, But that is not punishment for us as Christians. Um, and it's not a rebuke about us potentially having some of those sinful things in our life. In fact, in chapter 1, he talks to us about how we can live this life of godliness, living the divine nature. But what I think is important to understand is he's not calling us to do it on our, in our own strength. But he actually says here that it's his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Okay, those great and precious promises have come through his glory and his goodness okay so that through them through these precious promises that we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires okay it is through his great promises that we get to escape these evil desires and it's for this very reason that we can make every effort to add to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. It's a beautiful passage of how we can live in this divine nature through His goodness, through His glory, through His promises. Okay, It even goes on to say in verse 9 that if anyone does not have these, does not have these great qualities that I just read out, um, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So that, that's a beautiful scripture out there that tells us how we have power to live in this divine nature 
is by knowing our righteousness in Christ Jesus, by knowing that we have been cleansed and forgiven for all of our sins because Jesus paid the price for them. It's through that knowledge of our righteousness that we can live in this divine nature. Okay, this is not a, a letter of judgment and punishment. And thirdly, this letter or chapter two specifically <clears throat> is not a contradiction of all the great promises of grace that we see in our Bible. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came in grace and truth. There are so many promises uh, throughout the Bible and in Paul's letters to the church which speak of his grace. Uh, promises such as where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Uh, promises like there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel of Jesus. And that is also the tone of this letter. It is a warning for us as Christians against false teachers. It is not a rebuke against us. In fact, it is a letter telling us how through grace and through Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous, that we can be called sons and daughters of God. Bless you guys.